It's been an honour to have you on, man. Really, really is. Thank you. And that record changed my life. Mine, sincerely. Mine as well. <laughs> <laughs> Recorded live at Machine Sound London, this is the Bad Before the Bad Before podcast, and I am your host, Chaz Langston. And this is episode four. My granddad Ron's only got four fingers on one hand, so it seems only fitting that we should dedicate this episode to him. He's not dead, though, by the way. Anyway... I'm going to keep my unfunny, pointless babble to a bare minimum today because I think it's important that we just get straight in with our guest. Our guest today is one of the busiest guys in rock and roll. I don't know how many bands he's fronting, there's about five or six, and they are all awesome. One of which is one of my favourite bands of all time, and in my eye, one of the most groundbreaking bands to ever walk this earth. So be cool, Chaz. Be cool. Now, during this episode, we hear about him breaking onto the hardcore scene via his own school prom. He tells us about angry gig promoters waving their guns about and how emotional last gigs were stopped by the police. Not Sting in the game, the police, the 5-0. We hear about having to sleep in abandoned cars whilst on tour and, of course, how he made one of the most groundbreaking records of all time when the world weren't ready to listen. further ado, it's time for our guest, episode four of the Band Before the Band Before podcast with the one and only Dennis Nixon of Refuse. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thank you. What a privilege it is to have you on here, man. It's an honor. Well, you're welcome. I mean, Refuse are one of the most groundbreaking bands of all time, if you ask me. And I know a lot of people that would agree with me. <laughs> well, I've heard, I've heard people say that. So, <laughs> me happy. Yeah. Is there any bands that say it that surprise you? Uh, I mean, you know, being from being from the north of Sweden, anyone that says that surprises me. So. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, uh, there's been a couple of times where I met people and they talked about Refuse and I'm like, wow. Um, just the other day we went, we played a invasion toward Europe and uh, there was some really like the biggest hip hopper of Germany. Can't remember his name now. And uh, apparently he did like new noise as an encore in front oh, of wow. like, you know, 10,000 people. And I'm like, that's, that's a bit surprising. And then someone said, well, he used to be in hardcore bands before he got, became a hip hopper. I'm like, oh, right. that's crazy. I mean, it, it happens uh, quite often that, that people, that I meet people and they talk about refused and I'm like, oh shit, you know about refused. And then, you know, so it's cool. Did you think, obviously watching the refuses fucking dead uh, documentary, it's one of the documentaries <laughs> that changed my life. So many bands as well. And I think it's, um, it's quite a humbling documentary as well, isn't it? Cause like you'd obviously made the record that you knew was like no other. Yeah. How does it feel for people to be responding to that? Like still now, because at the time, the whole point of that documentary is that people weren't really responding to it at the time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I have to admit that when we did the record and we were working on it, I, I wasn't so sure. I mean, I was the, 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 
the kind of one guy in the band that was really firmly rooted in the scene, whatever whatever that meant. And um, I just kept saying, like, they're they're not going to get it. Like, the hardcore kids are not going to understand what we're doing. And David was like, always his cocky, confident self. He was like, oh, no, it's great. It's a fantastic record. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, I love the ambitions of it. I, I love the record, but I was like, I was so much part of the scene. And I was like, people not going to get it. And when we started touring, because, uh, I mean, we did, we did almost like six, seven months of touring on that record and people didn't get it. Uh, a lot of the hardcore kids from that scene, they weren't impressed and they thought we were super pretentious, which we were, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they didn't get it. And I mean, we did break up in, in with a sense of like um, failure, you know. We broke up and we're like, nah, that didn't go that well. Um, so it was quite surprising when, you know, a couple of months after we break up, you know, it took off and just just uh, started living a, li a life of its own. Yeah, yeah, they're the best records, the ones that do just sort of breed the life of its own, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, for us it was a bit weird because, you know, we broke up and then and then um, we just saw it happen, kind of kind of from like, you know, rem you're removed from the situation that's going on. Because I mean, I had when when refuse took off i was already touring with noise conspiracy you know and and yeah and i saw that happening and i'm like this is so strange and maybe if we would have some of that i mean i mean it's good things happen for a reason but if we would have some of that in uh, success initially when the record came out maybe things would have been better maybe we wouldn't have broken up on such bad terms you know all those things but you know it doesn't it doesn't really matter now <laughs> I am um, in, I think it was 2003, I went to Download Festival and on the first night, Linkin Park were headlining and International Noise Conspiracy were playing on the other stage and I went to watch you guys instead of uh, Linkin Park, obviously. Thank you. If I remember rightly, you were all wearing stripy shirts. You had a moustache at the time and I remember, the reason why I remember this so vividly is because you came out into the crowd <laughs> and you grabbed my shoulder uh, during Capitalism Stole My Virginity and you walked off and my friend just went, I can't believe Dennis from Refuse just touched your shoulder. And I was like, neither can I. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, that was great. <laughs> that, and that was, that was the weekend that Lars Zorik went AWOL, right? Yes. Yeah. I yeah. remember that. He didn't yeah. play and they had all these other people playing yeah, and it sounded better. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, was... I, I like Metallica. I like Lars Solark. I think he gets way too much shit. But it was just funny that he went AWOL and then people played and everyone's like, oh, wait, this is actually tight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Poor old Lars. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it was great. And I got piss in my face as well, just as Metallica come on by some fan. <laughs> it was this weird weekend. <laughs> Sounds like a typical UK <laughs> festival. Yeah, yeah, very true. Anyway, I've gone completely off piste. Sorry, let's get the fanboy in out of the way. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, no worries. Okay, let's take you right back to the beginning. Where was you born? I was born in uh, Sweden, the very north of Sweden. It's a small town called Venice, uh, outside of Umeå. Umeå is just like the city where uh, you know Refuse is from, and 
that whole nice hardcore scene of the 90s. And also Meshuga is from New York. Oh, are they really? Yes, they are. And Cult of Luna. So there's some good, some good bands from up here. Uh, so yeah, I'm born very, I mean, it's quite remote. Um, I mean, we still have seven hours to Stockholm and it used to be nine hours to Stockholm. Wow. Uh, by car so that's where i was born yeah incredible what was growing up like for you within your household was it were your family musical at all no my dad my dad liked records and he had a little bit of a record collection and for a short minute he actually worked for a, a record distribution uh, company thing so he had some records and he listened to music but there was no musical uh, folks in my family at all basically no you're the first one yeah but then i mean i mean maybe i was the first one but both my brothers are super musical and they still play in punk and hardcore bands so it's the the three of us just you know who just did oh it. wow <laughs> yeah awesome and are you the are you the oldest brother i am the oldest brother yeah I paved the way for all that madness you led him astray <laughs> i think i did yeah <laughs> not intentionally but you know it happened <laughs> And so can you remember the first sort of music that ever spoke to you, even like before punk and hardcore? Do you remember anything? Yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. Uh, when uh, when John Lennon got shot and killed, pictures of the Beatles were all over the newspapers, and I thought they looked super cool. My dad had Beatles records, and I started listening to them, and I fell in love. That's why I, where I fell in love with, be uh, with music, listening to the Beatles, I built Lego guitars. Yeah. And I played Lego guitar to, to the Beatles songs. Yeah. What an actual life-size guitar out of Lego. Well, I mean, I wasn't, I was like eight, so <laughs> small, but yeah, for me, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you remember getting your first guitar? Uh, well, I started when, when we got into punk and when we started playing music, this is years later. I I was the bass player. All right. The first band that we had, I I played the bass. Uh, we had a drummer, we had a guitar player, and I was like, I guess I'll I'll be the bass player. And then we started practicing. I got a green bass. I can't remember the brand. It's long gone. Uh, uh, but I, I it was a green bass. It was quite ugly. Um, and then we started practicing. No one wanted to sing, so I was like, I I guess I'll have to sing. So. In my first band, I was actually, I played bass and sang. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And what was the name of your first band? The, the name of the first band was Afro Jets. Afro Jets. Yeah, it's J-E-T-Z. Like right. uh, now in German. It means now in German. So it means Afro oh, okay. now, basically, which oh, is okay. a stupid name. <laughs> but, you know, we were young punks. <laughs> so how did that first band all start coming about? Um... I, I had a friend, so maybe this, what, what, what am I, like 14? And I mean, I wanted to play, I wanted to play music. And when you, when, um, when you grew up at that time, like if you wanted to, to, to do something with music, you just had to play music. There was no computers to write music on or anything. So, so I had a friend called Tommy and he was like the only other guy in my class that, that was, he played guitar basically. I was like, here's a guy that plays guitar. And then. There's another guy in, in the other class. So this is like seventh grade and he played drums. So it's like, here's people that play music. And I, I, I befriended them and then said, we, we should start a band. And we started this band and uh, it was exactly 
the type of band that you start when you live in a very, 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 very small town in the very, very north of Sweden. Because uh, I was the guy that was kind of into punk. I mean, I guess when we started, we were more into metal, but it morphed into some weird sort of mix between metal, punk, and hardcore because we were young and we didn't really know what we were doing. Um, the type of band, like the, the exact type of band that the Hives are, right. which is like five dudes that shouldn't really be in a band together, but they just <laughs> happen to live in the same small, small town. And that's kind of kind of band the band it was. And uh, I mean, we we were a band from like eighty seven to eighty nine. Didn't play a lot because we were fifteen years old and and there was nowhere to play. But we practiced a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can you remember any song titles? Yeah, I mean, we recorded we recorded full demo. Wait, wait. It's it's weird because for reasons. That I don't know, like it's is right here. It was I, I had it out like a couple of weeks ago. Oh wow! Yeah, there's a full demo that we recorded right before we broke up. Uh, here's some songs. Wake up. Is this life? Question mark. Couch guy. Couch guy. <laughs> Brain. Uh, and then we have a what's that? Ls. A few. The road is long when your board is gone. It's about the time uh, someone hit me with a car and. Drove, drove over my skateboard oh. and then i guess there's a song called public toilet here as well i, don't know, I haven't listened to this in a long time <laughs> <laughs> can you remember any lyrics i mean not really no. the road is long when my board well the road is long when my board is gone then you know it's a long way home i think that's like <laughs> those are the lyrics i can remember and recording that demo did you guys do that with a four track or did you go to a studio it was a real studio. Like someone in, in Venice had like a, a studio in their in their basement, and we went there for one day and we recorded. And I mean, we broke up right after we recorded, it, but it was cool. It's like my first recording session. And funny enough, uh, my brother, who's now, let me see, he's now forty, which is insane because he's like my kid brother, and he's been. Um, He's been playing in a bunch of cool hardcore punk bands and he's been the Invasion Sound Guy for the last like 10, 12 years. He was like six years old and he sang Batman on the demo. We did like oh, a version wow. of Batman where he sang Batman. So it's like first time he was in the studio. Now he owns his own recording studio and he records bands. This is funny. Uh, amazing. Yeah. Full circle. Yes. One, two, three, four. Oh, that's wrong. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> So if we could go back a little bit before your first band, let's talk about discovering punk rock. How did that happen for you? Well, I mean, I think it started with me discovering metal. Right. I think that was like the the, the catalyst that that kind of took took me off the tracks a little bit. Um, everyone in my class were into. I mean, I was in. It was weird because everyone in my class was into like um, Kiss and White Snake, and I was into Bowie. And I was like, you're, you're a weirdo. But then I got into like, I got into Aussie and Black Sabbath, Motorhead, and then everybody else was. And then I just became the guy that was like, what's the most extreme music? What's the most violent music? And I got into, someone gave me tape. This I don't have it, unfortunately, but it was, uh, it was Kill Em All with Metallica on side A. And it was yeah. the first Bathory record on side B. And that I was like, oh, wow, this is pretty intense. And I mean, I bought, raining blood when it came out in 1986 i was 14 i was like this is this is but my my 
I wouldn't say beef, but my 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 whole thing with metal is that I was way too busy doing shit to actually learn how to play. Right. <laughs> so when it was time to start a band, I was like, we want to play metal, of course, at the first. And they were like, we're shit players. And <laughs> all the metal dudes, they're like, they've been at home in their in their bedroom just masturbating guitar for like <laughs> yeah. years. And I wasn't one of those dudes. Um, but I love the intensity. I love the aggression, the violence of it. And then I discovered hardcore and that was kind of, you know, like, like I was like, Oh, this is, it's the same energy, the same aggression, the same sort of a sense of danger. But I was like, I could actually play this, you know, <laughs> I could play these songs. And, and for me, that was a, that was a massive shift in like the, the way I saw music. Cause if you listen to a lot of like, I mean, if you're into Metallica or stuff like that, like kill them all, like all the songs are super long and complex and I'm like, I can't play that well. So then I discovered punk and hardcore and that just, just, I was like, I can do this. I mean, you know, so yeah. <laughs> and is that what fueled you to want to start being in a band in the first place? I think, I'm, I mean, I wanted to be in a band before that. And uh, the first incarnation of, of this demo, like the first show we ever played, we play like an Anthrax cover. Um, oh, what song? Uh, panic from fistful nice. of Metal. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows why we play that song? And one more cover and then one of our own songs. Uh, and then after that, we got into more punk and hardcore. But I mean, I I wanted to be in a band already when I discovered metal, but it was right. It was hard and, you know, no one could really play like that. And the people that did play like that, they were already in established bands <laughs> yeah. in town. So, you know. But then we discovered punk and hardcore and that really, I mean, it was me and the drummer from this band and it really changed the trajectory and the way we we saw music. And, you know, like some of the early stuff was like the more crossover stuff, like uh, Crumb Suckers and early Agnostic Front and, you know, first Chromag's record, all that stuff was like massive. And then uh, for Sick of It All record and just, you know, like that type of hardcore but also, you know, like exploit the troops of tomorrow was one of the first records that I that I had that was like a punk record. Mm. Yeah, and like playing bass wise. Yes. Did you have any lessons at all, or is it just got a bass, start playing it? Yep, that's that's Straight. what it was. Yeah, I, I took no lessons. I've, well, I've I've been to a, a vocal coach maybe three times, but that was like twenty years after I started singing. Um, so no lessons. Uh, I'm totally self-taught which you could tell sometimes <laughs> when i do stuff um but yeah i just started playing bass because i figured uh probably be the easiest instrument to, <laughs> to play which is so mean to all bass players out there but that's that's what you in your mind you know it's only four strings it has to be easier than six strings you know yeah <laughs> yeah so with Afrojet's first show, was that your first live performance in front of people ever doing anything? Yeah, yeah, it was. And can you remember that gig well? Yeah, pretty well. I mean, it was my first show. So there's a lot of recollections of, I mean, you know, I remember I remember the show. I remember we were three-piece at the time. Later, we got like a second guitar player. We were three-piece at the time. And um, it was a school dance. Right. Uh so there was like a, uh, I don't know, you don't have it. It's called a dance band in Sweden. They they do, 
and then people do, you know, that that's the foxtrot to it. Yeah. And we, they said, okay, you can play three songs on our equipment, basically. I mean, they didn't know. Like, we just brought our guitars. So the drums were like an early version of D drums, which is insane that the oh, first wow. show we played, it was like, uh, but yeah, I do remember that show. Yeah. I don't, I don't think anyone else did. It was just not a memorable show. <laughs> so it was in front of everyone in your year at school, I guess, I'm guessing then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I still, it is insane because that live show, I have it on tape. You got that on so, tape as well. Yes, I do. Wow. How'd you guys go down? And you can't lie if you didn't go down because you've got evidence. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, they were, they, we, we didn't, you know, we didn't get laid or anything. At all. <laughs> no, I mean, we, no, it wasn't, it wasn't a massive success. I thought people, we were weirdos. And then you get up on stage and we had one, we had our own song called Suicide. And people were just like, what the fuck's up with these dudes? <laughs> They're idiots. I thought more than anything, people thought we kind of ruined the night, which is, I guess, in hindsight, a little bit of a success story. Yeah, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. how, how old were you then? 16. 16. Wow. Uh, maybe 15, 16, yes. Yeah, how did you feel when you got off stage? I think I was pretty pumped, you know? Yeah. I mean, we played a show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how many shows did you guys go on to play? With that band, maybe maybe eight shows or maybe 10 shows, some, somewhere along that line. Um, and it was funny because we played a bunch of shows just in in Venice, which is like, I mean, it's like 8,000 people live here. <laughs> we right. played a couple because there was like the youth center and then there was the dance and then we played a show at school, you know? Um, but it wasn't like, we, I think we played two shows in Umeo, which was, we are like scary to go into town and we, we played and there was like all these other like Umeo bands and it felt like they were way more um, established than we were. Right. So it was a bit scary. But then when we started, like the, the second band I had is like my, my proper first, like proper band we played a lot of shows in Umeå. Well, we we I relocated to Umeå at that point, and then we played there all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. So uh, what was the name of that band? That band was called Step Forward. Step Forward. Yeah. Right. And that was like, I mean, when Afroyets was exactly that weird amalgamation of all the different styles and a bunch of different people that shouldn't be in a band together, Step Forward was very much like, we are a youth crew straight-edge hardcore band. Okay. We like negative approach and youth of today and seven seconds and minor threat. And, you know, uh, and we were quite serious about it. Like we, we, we record two demos that someone released on vinyl 2020 or 2021. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's, it's a good band. It's funny. Uh, David that ended up playing drums in a band called refused. He was this, this is a good story. Like he was a, he was like child prodigy drummer. Right. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, his, his music teacher said, you should go to this youth center and you should see this band. They're great players. Um, I can't remember what they're called. Some, and they play covers, but like really, really good. Like a lot of like good, good playing. And um, after they played, step forward played, 
And David was just like, he saw us play and he's like, wait, this is what I want to do. Oh, wow. He's like, oh, shit. So if you ask David about his favorite band, he will say that his favorite band is Step Forward. Wow. Yeah. And he that's the reason why he got into punk and hardcore. And he was like, this this is what I want to do with my life. I don't want to play that the cover band that played before with their like, you know, the with the great players. He's like, I'm not interested. I want to yeah. I want to be in that band. Um, I had my shirt off and I I had written in the in a sharpie on my chest that said fucking shit or something like that, and like X's <laughs> on my hands and he was like, what the hell is going on? And we played super fast, like really fast hardcore. Were you still playing bass and singing at this time? No, no. I I, I left the bass behind. When when Afrits broke up, I was like, I'm just going to be the singer from now on. And we, so me and Jens, the drummer from Afrits, we, I mean, he lived in Umeå already. And by this time, I think I might have moved to Umeå the summer of 89, so I might have just moved, but we were skateboarding in Umeå and we met two dudes skateboarding and we started, we, we struck up a conversation. One of the guys says, I play bass. And the other guy said, I play guitar. And we're like, I sing and he plays drums. My. You know, that was it. And then we had a band. Incredible. And you yeah. guys just start rehearsing and gigging straight away. Yeah. 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 Pretty, pretty like, I think our first demo is recorded like, I mean, like four months after we started the band, and it's it's great. It's a really cool demo. Yeah, and, you know, we we played a lot of shows. Uh, well, twenty five shows maybe. Wow, and you guys just gelled instantly then. Yeah, I mean, well, after the first demo, the guitar player got axed because he started saying stuff like, "I don't know about straight edge. Can I be straight edge, but then drink once a month?" And we're like, <laughs> "What?" Uh, that works. And then also one time he said, I don't want to be like you guys. I want to be mature. That's also something he told us. Oh, wow. We're like, okay, maybe this is, isn't cutting it. So we got another guy playing guitar. But yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a cool band. Man, and how did you feel going out on stage without a bass? Did you feel naked or did you feel free? No, it, it felt great. It felt like uh, all the pent-up energy and all the, the madness inside me just, you know, could come to fruition and it's funny because i mean this is i mean it's, we started in 1989 broke up in 1991 before youtube before anything and we didn't have much to go on so we looked at you know what you did when you're young you looked at pictures of the records and you saw these youth today and they're jumping so we figured like oh, fuck these guys I mean, we had we just got to jump. So the first show we played, <laughs> I was airborne for like fifty percent of the show because I was like, I guess that's how you do it. So I'm just jumping, and then um, the last song, our guitar player smashed his guitar, and then the, Jens, the drummer, took like the cymbal stand and threw it in the fuse box, and the club went black, and people were like, what? Who the fuck were those guys? <laughs> that was our first show. We're like, oh, that's you know, set set an example for. For what I've done ever That's since. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Matt, was that a venue? It was like a youth center. A at, youth at, center. In town. Yeah. Was there many people there? Yeah, like, I don't know, 100 people. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Pretty well attended show. It's like one of those, like, uh, there was some protest of some kind and they asked us okay. to play. Like, oh, okay. Fuck yeah. And then we tore it up. <laughs> Man. How did you... Um... Going off track here a bit. How did you go from jumping to dancing? Because you're quite a mover on stage. Yeah, and that, that was later. I mean, first of all, I think after a while, I realized that hey, yeah, maybe they just used the pictures where they jump. 
they don't jump all the time. So I was like, maybe that's, uh, but then I think for me, the dancing came uh, mid nineties would refused. Yeah. The hardcore scene was kind of exploding and there's a lot of, uh, like a lot of dudes trying to like be tough on stage. Mm. And I, I got to admit, like there was a time I took my shirt off. I'm like, oh yeah. And then I was like, looked at myself. I'm nope, nope, that's not, that's, <laughs> that's not like this. And early on I got into, I mean, the soul music uh, and, and the mob thing. And I was like, and um, so I had this idea. I wanted to like have this juxtaposition between the violence of the yeah. music and the dancing. And I also remember like a pivotal weird moment because there was a time in in Refused '95 we looked like crust punks. Like we, if you see pictures of our U.S. tour with Snapcase in '95, it looks like it's a weird like profane existence band that they're they're opening up for Snapcase. We mm. don't look like like the typical hardcore band. But then we played a show in Sweden, and there was this punk guy and he looked kind of really decked out punk which is fine but he was trying to pass out like political flyers and everyone's like fuck this guy and i saw that i'm like is that how people see us like and i and i figure like if if people see us and kind of judge us before we have a chance to say anything are they even going to listen so like the next day i I bought like a pair of suit pants and a button-up shirt i'm like let's see what this how this plays out and then the rest is history as they say wow that's great yeah it works so well as well especially with like the way the drums are and refused yeah it's quite like dance orientated but yeah it is very rhythmical and and uh, yeah it goes well with with just moving in a very different way i mean it's it it's it's quite violent at times but i like that that weird like uh dynamics of, of me like dancing and i mean totally you know, at that point like late you know uh, after song Stefana before uh, before Shape, I, I got really into like I was modeling all my moves from like Mick Jagger and James Brown and mm-hmm. Iggy, of yeah. course. Uh, and then I was like, I wouldn't take that into hardcore because it, I felt that it hadn't really been done before in that way. Absolutely, a lot of the hardcore dudes just took their shirt off and just screamed, which you know it's kind of cool, but yeah, <laughs> not for me. Yeah. It's good to break out and do your own thing, isn't it? Yeah. So after step forward, were the breakups quite uh, amicable? Yeah, amicable. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Afrijets was fine. Oh, this is actually a good story. Why Afrijets broke up? So Tommy, the play guitar, who is my only friend in class, um, his dad hated me. <laughs> his dad was like. This Dennis character is up to no good. He thought I was I was like a, a you know I was setting a bad example for his son. Uh, so one day when we were practicing, I mean Tommy had like a big like fro and like earrings, and I mean it didn't look super punk, but like you know torn up jeans and like a t shirt. And one day he came to practice space and he had like cut his hair and taken out his earring and had like a really nice kind of like well not like like cardigan. And I'm like what's happening? And he's like well. My dad gave me a car if I stopped being punk. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, not even a car because he was 16. In Sweden, you have something like it's called an EPA, which is like a 
a modified car that only goes uh, 30 kilometers an hour. And he got one of those, like a bribe. His dad was like, I don't want you to be punk anymore. I'll give you this car if you stop being punk. And that was kind of, that was kind of the end of the wow. band. <laughs> Why did he even want one of those? They sound shit. It, it, was, <laughs> it was shit. It is still shit. But he wanted to be able to drive to school, which is weird wow. because, because, uh, at that point, maybe we started going to school in Umeå, and I mean, that's like there's like more than an hour to drive to Umeå in that super slow car. Wow! But yes, yeah, so we broke up. It used to take you an hour to drive to school. Yep. Wow. <laughs> no, and then step forward. It's I thought about this actually just the other day because it's weird that when you when you're young like that, ninety one, I was nineteen. And, and when you're 19, like it, it's interesting because I was so like into hardcore and straight edge and that whole thing. And I was like getting into politics. And then Jens, the drummer, who was the guy that, that I started the band with, he got into like indie pop. And he was like, when you're 19, like I like indie now. I can't play in a hardcore band. Right. So I want to play an indie rock band. And that's kind of why we broke up. And because he was like, wow, he wasn't into hardcore anymore. And I was like, what? And because I, mean, I was also into indie rock, but I was like, I, I love playing hardcore. And he was like, I can't play hardcore anymore. I got to play an indie band. So he started an indie band instead. And we broke up. Wow. Yeah. I think it's like when you're that young, like so much of your identity is, is tied up in the music that you that you play. And he was like, I don't want to be a straight edge hardcore dude anymore. Yeah. Uh, so I can't play that type of music, because, you know, because it's so entangled. And as you grow older, you realize that uh, none of the music that you listen to at home, it, it doesn't really, I mean, you take some of that influence with you to to your bands, but it, you don't have to be like, oh, now I like this. I have to break up my band. Yeah, of course. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially in your late teens, I guess you're really trying to find almost your tribe in a way, isn't it? Yeah. But I didn't have to break up the band. <laughs> no, it's weird. I mean, it is funny because since then, uh, me and Jens, that guy, we we had that band AC4. All right. Which is me and him. We, yeah. I mean, we, I mean, and after a couple of years, he he played in a punk band called The Vectors, and okay. he kind of, and then he was in a band called The Regulations from Mimi, which are fucking fantastic. So, I mean, he got back back into hardcore and punk after a couple of years. So you just need to need to do his own thing. I have a really funny story about Step Four as well. So we're like, we got kind of famous for Jens always trashing the drums. Right. Like we're always playing. He's just like throwing drums everywhere and just being kind of a madman. So after a while, uh, whenever we play like these youth centers, he had to sign a contract that he wouldn't destroy the drums, which is kind of funny. <laughs> and then we played shows and there was like a guy sitting next to him, <laughs> making sure that he wouldn't do anything. <laughs> and then one show, this is early one show we played. Um, and it's, it's fucking weird. It's like a big youth center. And it's us and Meshuga. And Meshuga's oh, playing wow. after us. So, yeah, we played a couple of shows with them. Both Early Refused and Stepport play shows with Meshuga where they still live in town. And we borrowed Thomas' Thomas drum kit. <laughs> and Jens is playing. And after the second song, he, he stands up and he takes Thomas' cymbals down. He just throws it. And then he sits down and starts playing. And Thomas runs up on stage and he's just screaming at Jens the whole song. <laughs> and Jens is playing drums. You can see he's like, you know, Thomas is, a, he was already then kind of a big guy. Yeah. 
screaming at Jens the whole song. He's like, you motherfucker, you fucking idiot. And Jens was like, oh no, oh no. And it was insanely awkward. <laughs> it was like the second song of the set as well. <laughs> oh, fuck. Did he forgive him after the set? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they've forgiven us, but at this right. point, I mean, we're good friends. They're they're great guys, but it, yeah, at that point, they were like, "Who the fuck are these punks?" You know, <laughs> destroying our drum kit. Wow! So you got you guys had quite a history in both bands of uh, destroying everything in your path, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so from stepping forward, where did we go from there? I mean, we broke up, or no, we didn't break up immediately. At this point, I moved to Umeå, and I moved into the same house as David lives. So we're neighbors, and we start hanging out. And then when when Jens wants to leave, step forward, I ask David to play because I've seen David play drums, and he played in a technical death metal band called Pain. Right. And they, they were a band for like five years and they only managed to write one song, but it was like 17 <laughs> minutes long. It was insane. It was so weird. It was like, like I don't know. It, it's hard to explain, but I knew he was a great drummer. So I asked him to sit in with support, but he wasn't like, Jens has that like, like perfect punk drumming. And David didn't have that. He was like a technical death metal drummer. Right. So I think we practiced maybe twice with David on drums. And then the other guy since the poor was like, yeah, I don't know. It's not worth it. So then me and David just said, let's start a band and and uh, call it the Refused, which was the first <laughs> with the like Refused because we were like, we're back. That kind of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that yep. was the beginning of Refused, right? Yep. And how did you meet the other guys in the band? In Refused? Oh, let's see. I mean, the first guitar player played in like a local Primus ripoff band, <laughs> which is funny that there is a band from Umeå in 1991 that, that wanted to sound like Primus, but there was, and he, we knew he was a great player. So we asked if he wanted to play in our new band and he said, yes, but he, he didn't, I mean, he wasn't into hardcore. He didn't know anything about hardcore, but he was a great player. And it's kind of the same, like the, we had a bass player for like a hot minute, but then we met Magnus that's still in the band today. And it's the same with him. Like he played in like an indie rock band, but he was a great bass player. He was kind of a cool dude. So we asked if he wanted to be in the band. So the first like couple of months of Fuse was just me trying to educate the other guys about hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you need to listen to this record. And now we need to listen to this record. And let's listen to this record now. Uh, yeah. And what were the early shows like? I mean, they're fun. It, it was it was, it was was weird because the there was like a little bit of a punk and hardcore scene in Umeå between 89 and 91 with Step Forward and a bunch of other bands. But that whole scene was very like, there was like a punk band, there was like an oi band, and then some weird thrash metal band played. But, you know, like it was a small town, so it's like anyone that plays weird music. just. And then when we started Refused, a couple of other hardcore bands started popping up, and then it became like a little bit of a scene. Uh, so the early shows, 
it, it, it got kind of great early on. I mean, even though we weren't necessarily in, insanely good in the beginning, the shows got great really quickly because people were, were, they just wanted something new and something exciting. Uh, the first show we played, uh, it must have been like two weeks after we started the band. We um, Oh, really? Yeah, a friend of ours called from from up, up in Lulio. We played there with Step Forward. And he said, do you want to come play with Step Forward? And I'm like, we broke up. I got a new band. And he's like, all right. So we got on the bus and I remember sitting on the bus writing lyrics and we play like three Gorilla Biscuit songs because right. we didn't have any of our own. So we'll <laughs> just play Gorilla Biscuit songs. Uh, but yeah, it was fun. I think from the get-go, we felt that it was just fun and it, it was like um, a very different approach than, than Step Forward. Did you feel like you'd landed, not landed on your feet, but feel like you'd progressed and was in a different league like band wise no because because the first couple of demos we did refused actually they're not that great and step four was actually better right but it was just different step four was fast and and with refuse we wanted to do it a little bit different even though i think in the early days it was like we want to be like gorilla biscuits and then pair came in and he was like a metal guitar player we're like that's eh, never going to be like old school hardcore so it just became something different but I must say, live we were great, but it took us a time to find our footing as far as songwriting goes and as right. far as like what kind of identity we wanted on the band. I mean, which is, which is once again, it was like one of those bands that I had a pretty clear idea of what I wanted to be. And uh, David, I mean, they're all great players, but they come from different backgrounds. So be before we could find like, the thing that gel and the thing that we all had in common, it, it took a little bit. I guess uh, that makes sense though, because if you guys are gigging like within a couple of weeks of even being a band, yeah. like a lot of bands would have only had one or two rehearsals, let alone a gig. Yeah. So, and you guys are not only gigging, but you're in a scene that's hungry for it. So yeah. I guess you just had to sort of like grow in public as they say. Yeah. And, and I think we did. And I think, I think it was one of those things where at that point in time um, in our hometown, there's like six or seven different youth centers. Right. So you can play show almost every weekend. You could play show in Umeå at different youth centers across town. Uh, and there, and if you, if there wasn't a show, you just go to youth center and say, oh, we want to put on a show next weekend. We have three bands that play hardcore. And they was like, yeah, do it. So, I mean, it was a lot of learning by doing. Yeah. And a lot of it was like, you know, it is like if you play in a band, like you can practice 10 times, but if you play a show, a show once that that's, it's so much growth in it. So I think we were just, we just played a lot of shows just from the get go. Like we just came out of the gate and we're like, let's just play as much as we can, which I think is what, what made us eventually become a really good band. Yeah. Can you remember a specific turning point where you thought, fuck, this is magic? Mm. I mean, I think a lot of those early shows were pretty, pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. And, and the scene was just growing really quickly. Um, w one of the shows that was like, if you're from Umeå, it's the show. Did you go to that show? And then it was like, oh, okay, you're, you're the real deal because you went to that show. We did, um, as we were recording, this just might be the truth. So this is 93. We did, um, I think five shows with Shelter. Right. 
And uh, one of those shows were in Umeo, and there was like 600 people at the show, and the room just exploded. And it was one of those, like, you know, like one of those defining moments of yeah, the Umeo hardcore and defining moments of Refused. And it was just like, as I said, anyone that was there, they'd be like, yeah, that show, that, that fucking Shelter Refused show is fucking bonkers. So I think that, w- that was like a big turning point for us. That was like such a cool show, and you could feel like, okay, we got something, because we played with them in like uh, four other other cities in Sweden. And we played in Stockholm. There was like you know eighty people at that small like you know squat cafe, and then we come up to him and there's like five six hundred people just going nuts, and everyone in shelter was like, "What the fuck is going on here?" <laughs> and we felt like, "Oh, we we got something really cool going on here." Yeah. But then I don't. I think that musically, it wasn't until the Everlasting EP where we felt like, okay, now we have. Um, really find our footing we found something that's quite unique to to who we are um i think this just might be the truth of first records one of those records that it has cool stuff on it but it's definitely a band that's not we yeah it was too soon like we we hadn't really figured out our identity uh but everlasting i think that's where we felt like oh holy shit we're actually we're a real band we're actually doing something really uh kind of cool and unique yeah how were people responding to you as you were sort of like becoming more experimental? Because even in um, even in some of your early albums, there's um, a lot of like unusual time signatures in some, yeah. some tracks and stuff like that. Was that always yeah. going down well? Yeah, I think yeah. so. And I think that, I think that, as I said, I mean, even with this just might be the truth that, that in my opinion is not, not necessarily a great record, but when we play that live, people are really, really into it. I mean, P- Pump the Brakes is still like, we if we play in Sweden, we still have to play Pump the Brakes, which is fucking insane. But uh, so people really responded uh, qu- quickly to, to what we're doing. And and I think, I mean, it's it's funny because um, bands usually when, when you're a punk band and you, you get better at playing, you're like, let's try this weird time signature and see if we can pull it off. But with David as a drummer, because he used to be in a technical death metal band, for him it wasn't. For him, it wasn't even like let's try it. He just he just he knew he could do it. it. He was like, yeah. I'll I'll do this, and which has been a quite interesting thing in Refuse that there's a lot of our songs that have weird time signatures, but they sound like they're four four yeah. because of the way yeah. we play it. And when you start listening or, or or trying to learn the riff, you're like, what the fuck is going on here? And that was something that we could do because, well, especially then when Chris joined on Everlasting, he was such a great player and David was such a great drummer and Magnus was such a great guitar player. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a bunch of punks trying to be fancy. It was just the way no. they played. Yeah. But people really responded well to it. And I think that the, 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 the technical aspect of it, it's sometimes it's so, I think it's quite hidden in the, uh, in the relentlessness of the music that people don't think about the fact that, there are weird time signatures. There are these yeah. weird parts, you know, So, because it, it just it just beats you over the head. <laughs> <laughs> or makes you dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At what point did you think, I'm a musician now? That was way after Refuse broke up. I, I gotta say, <laughs> uh, 
so when I start playing music, I mean, I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to play music. I always like felt like, oh, it would be cool to be in a band. But for a long time, I didn't see myself as a musician. And when we started Refuse, I mean, as I said, David was this child prodigy. Everyone's like, he's going to become like a studio session drummer, whatever he wants, you know. I think David always has a sense that he was like, I, I can become a musician. While I had a sense that like, this is just going to be for a little bit and then I need to get my shit together because I'm not talented enough to be like a real musician. Oh, come on. What? But no, no, I, 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 I am very, I'm pretty good at what I do, but it's yeah. all 10,000 hours. You know, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't one of those kids. It didn't come. I mean, playing and writing didn't come naturally to me. I had to learn being on stage came super natural to me. Yeah. So it's like one of those deals where I was like, just being on stage and being that person, I'm like, oh, I can do this. This is super easy. For a lot of people, that's really difficult. Yeah. I have so many friends who are such great players and great songwriters, but they can't perform. And I was the opposite. I wasn't a great singer in the beginning. I wasn't great. I couldn't really write great songs. My lyrics were eh, okay, but I was a great performer. And then as I kept doing it, it kind of ca caught up. So, you know, there is some point in noise conspiracy where I was like, I guess I am a musician now, you know, but, <laughs> you know, I've been releasing records for 10 years. I'm like, maybe I am a musician. Fuck, you know, because when Refuse broke up, um, I wanted to go to school. I wanted to be, uh, uh, I wanted to be a teacher in political science. And wow. then my, gra my grades were horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so there was, there's no way that the university will let me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they, would, they would stop me. I'm like, you can't get in here. So I was like, yeah, I guess it's, you keep playing music, you know? Amazing. Yeah. Boys, I'm so sorry. I'm so late. The buses were, and there was like, oh, and I could see you bought in all the equipment already. Uh, it's not cool. Whose beers are those? I'm fucking gasping. Let's rock. It was the first tour that you ever done with Refused. I mean, not, Step Forward did, uh, a short tour of Finland. Right. Which was, I mean, it was four shows. I guess it's a little bit of a yeah, tour. Yeah, that counts. Yeah. Uh, it was wild. We we had a friend, we had a punk friend that was like a couple of years older than us. And he was, he, he grew up in Finland. So Umeå, you can take the ferry across to Vasa, which is, it's only like a five hour ferry ride. Uh, and a lot of people at that side of Finland actually speak Swedish as well. So he grew up there and he was like, he lived in Umeå. And he, one day he was like, I booked you guys uh, some shows in Finland. And we're like, oh yeah. But he was also a notorious liar. Oh, and shit. Yeah, no, he was one of those dudes that he could, he could say shit for real. Like, like, yeah, I was, uh, I was going down to Stockholm on the train and uh, Motley Crue was on the train. We <laughs> partied all night. And we're like, yeah, yeah that's not true. You, you know, <laughs> like he was like, oh, I saw, you saw the Ramones show in Stockholm. We went to saw the Ramones in Stockholm, like whatever, 1990 or something. And he's like, yeah, I was at that show. I, I sold, I did the merch. And we're like, what? Oh, man. He's, he's one of those dudes. Yeah. So he, we all know one told, of those guys. Yeah. He tells us. <laughs> I booked a tour in Finland and we're just like, uh, all right. And then he comes back to us after like a week and he's like, I'm booking, I'm, I'm buying the ferry tickets tomorrow. And we're like, what the fuck is happening? Cause at first we thought he was joking. We're like, that's not, 
that's not real. And then he was like, I'm buying the fair tickets. Like we're leaving next weekend. And I'm like, we're like, I guess, I guess we got to go. So we went on this ferry, not knowing if we actually had shows because this guy, Fuck. I mean, he was like, he was, you know, compulsive liar, basically on the ferry. He shows us a fan scene and it says step forward and it's four shows. And we're like, I guess we're actually playing shows. Fuck. Yeah. Wow. It came yeah. through for you. It did come through. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was wild. How was it? Yeah, it was all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so one of the shows, um, we show up in, in uh, Turku in Finland late one evening. We're playing like a festival next day and we show up late, late that evening. And I mean, what are we like 17 or something like that? 18. And we don't have any money and no place to stay. And this is before internet and, and cell phones. So the only thing we had, we had the number of a guy that played in, in a hardcore band from that town. So we call him and we say, hey, we're, we're, we're in your town. Can we stay at your house? And he says, no, no, you cannot. <laughs> oh, fuck. So we meet up with some punk guy. We're just hanging around downtown basically at night. We're like, what's going on? And some guy walks by and he look, punk looking. We're like, are you, you know, and he says, yeah, you can stay at my place. Oh, so we wow. go to his place. And his girlfriend gets really upset because they're like four Swedish dudes. So she kicks us out. So that night we slept in uh, in an abandoned car. <laughs> in an Outside. abandoned car. Well, yeah, Fuck. yeah. Like a, on a junkyard in, in the car. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And then one one show, this uh, this notorious liar, uh, we played in a bar in, in Vasa. And there's maybe, you know, 15 people. Like, who the fuck? knows who we are yeah and he yeah. walks in the dressing room and he says all right guys just a minute ago there's like 40 straight edge kids here they'll be back later <laughs> <laughs> they didn't come back <laughs> <laughs> he said that they left for a little bit because we weren't playing yet but <laughs> that were they were going to come back as, as soon as we start playing <laughs> oh man that's so funny yeah <laughs> That was that was my first tour. It was it was it was insane. That's the perfect first tour. Sleeping yeah. in an abandoned car, playing to no one. Yep. Traveling with a compulsive liar. It was great. Great days. <laughs> What would be the best gig and the worst gig you've ever done? For whatever reasons whatsoever. Mm, I know. I mean, the best gig, there's been a lot of great shows. And there's a lot of shows where you're like, that's pretty fantastic. But one of the most emotionally charged shows that I ever played was uh, Noise Conspiracy played in Gothenburg in 2001 at the G8 protests. And there, there's been rioting in the streets for two days. And uh, people then shot, and it was fucking insane. And then we played a show on the second day in front of that crowd, and that was like probably the most emotional show I've played because wow. I was so I was I was like a part. Well, I wasn't really I was in the riots. I wasn't a, I wasn't rioting. I was just there, you know. Yeah. And that show was pretty insane. It was like one of those like it was so much aggression and uh, frustration built up over over the course of two days. And then just to play show in front of that crowd and just talk about the things that just happened. It was really 
it was really powerful. It's probably one of the most like uh, uh, you know cathartic shows I ever played. Wow. Yeah, and worst show. I mean, I don't know. There's been so many worst shows. <laughs> <laughs> it's been um, one. Sh- it wasn't really the worst show, but it was like one of those like you know one of those shows they that will end up in the biography you write because it was so insane yeah. uh, we played first european tour 1994 i'm, I'm 22 david's 19 our bass player jesper is 17. wow and we're touring uh with 108 Hare krishna harker band for like five weeks in europe and we're playing this this squat in milan uh in, in milano we do a really long sound check and when we start playing the sounds sounds horrible so i started like i punched the microphone on the monitor of frustration and after the show the people at the squad obviously is not happy with <laughs> with the with me understandably so and i was like no i didn't break the microphone and they were like no you you broke the microphone you broke it you're a fucking rock so you need to pay for the microphone and i said no i'm not paying for the microphone it still works and then they they took me and David and the tour manager of a 108 and they said let's we need to talk to you about this and we go down to the basement and they say you need to pay for the microphone and I say no and then one guy just pulls up his shirt and shows his gun Fuck. and I'm like I guess we're paying for the microphone <laughs> no worries about that and then, and then you know like you're 22 your first European tour you're like oh, is this what it's going to be like Fuck. now <laughs> shit yeah. yeah that would be pretty bad <laughs> it was pretty tough <laughs> man there's a beautiful bit in there in your documentary where um uh, the police are shutting down one gig julian rather be dead yeah uh, and i think you say i think you say um i never even got a chance to say i'd rather be alive or something because yeah. that was the last refused show for the first incarnation of the right yeah, yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool that, that was that was great because uh we knew it was coming to an end right and one of those deals we it bit it's it been so intense ever since we started like the, like it's i mean it's only like seven years it's like but it, it was so intense and we knew it was coming to an end and then i mean the cops came on stage and we're like i guess it's over now which was for the for the 60 people in the crowd they were like what the fuck's going on for everyone in band they were like thank you you know we didn't to, i mean you know the awkwardness of being like okay this is the last song it's refused ever now we're breaking up uh, yeah. yeah it would have been yeah. horrible so it was great i mean um it is definitely something that added to that mythology of the band when we yeah for sure. 14 years and it was like oh the, the last show the police, the rest of them, you know, like there's all these stories. We're like, yes, yes, please. <laughs> look at this. It's called a sampler. Look, look, you do this. Yeah, yeah, you hear that? Every chorus, bang, bit of impact. And then we do it. Oh, hang on. No, sorry. I don't know how to turn this off yet. Is it? It's one of these. Something like that. Right. What do you reckon? Gives a bit of an edge. Do you remember signing your first record deal? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I do. We was, uh, was that with Refused or was that with Step Yeah, Forward? it was Refused. Uh, we went down to Stockholm and uh, we met this guy, Frederick, that still does the label called Star Tracks, and he still does all the Refused reissues. We're still oh, wow. really good friends. And uh, yeah, we just sat down on a coffee with him and he said, I want to sign you. I want to put out your fo- first full-length record. And then 
because we had like a uh, like a EP recorded that Burning Heart put out, like one of the first Burning Heart records ever. And he said, "Let's do that on Burning Heart, and then we'll we'll do the full length record on my label." And he actually he used to have a punk label called Chicken Brain Records, and then he revamped it to Star Tracks, which is still a label. And that was like the first contract. I can't really remember like what it entailed, but I mean, we're still friends. So I guess it wasn't that. <laughs> <laughs> did he did he approach you from like seeing you from um, seeing you at shows and stuff like that? No, he got uh, the second demo that Refuse did. Uh, we sent that out to a bunch of people, and and a bunch of people actually got back to us. We didn't think they would. We just like we did one demo that we just just sold at shows uh, at home. We we, we I, I copied like maybe two hundred copies, you know, cut everything myself. And then the second demo, we actually well, well let's send some demos to you know some labels in Sweden. So both Burning Heart and Star Trek actually got in touch with us because of the demo, the second demo. Wow, awesome. Yeah. And then what led on to you? Did you sign a full time deal with uh, Burning Heart? Yeah, that was later. Uh, what was that? That was probably for the. I mean, that was for Shape actually. Yeah. Because before that, uh, it was Star Trek's, and then Three Records was involved, and they ripped us off for, for tons of money. Oh fuck! Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not the only band that they ripped off for tons of money, but yeah, they ripped us off for tons of money, and then we were like, "Fuck these guys!" And then. Uh, Burning Heart and Epitaph said, we want to sign you for the next record. And then they also reissued uh, Songs to Fan. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, you're young. You don't really know what's going on. You're like, someone's putting out our records. We get to play shows. And then we start looking at like what was actually happening. And, and we never paid us a cent ever <laughs> for Fuck. any of the shirts or any of the records or anything. So, yeah. Man. And at that point, were you guys relying on that? So was it your full-time job? I mean, it's it's interesting because I think about that because uh, we, I mean, that that's all we did. And then from from night, I would say from ninety three to ninety eight, the only thing we did was was touring. We never made any money. It's insane when I think about it now. But we we did a lot of scams. There were a lot of scamming involved. A lot of like I was on um, I was on the dole. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know. Uh, I I used to work for a little bit, so I was in the I was unionized. Mm-hmm. So I got like, like, uh, you know, like whatever money to, to be unemployed, basically. Right. We, we did a lot of scams like that. I was always like unemployed and I, I collected unemployment benefits and I went on tour. That's basically how it worked. And then, you know, like someone, David, like had, um, had an intern job and that, the you know, that the government paid for at some, some place and he was never there. He was always on tours. There was like, a lot of scamming <laughs> to, to make it happen. And then also, I mean, for a long time, David lived with his parents. We were so young, you know. Yeah, I had yeah. like a, a, an apartment that was basically like a bed and a record player. So I mean, right. it wasn't, you know. So for a long time, we—that's all we did. But we never made any money. Have you ever felt a point in your career where you're like, "I've made it"? <laughs> no, <laughs> never. <laughs> which which I think is a good thing because it's like people that make it they become kind of complacent in, in the creativity, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, when, when we did the reunion and, you know, like the whole, not, not the actual, sh- not the actual Coachella show, 
but the hype leading up to that, it was quite fascinating to be in the middle of something that that was that massive, like the the hype and the excitement. And that was pretty wild, but it wasn't like, oh, now we made it. I mean, even though 2012, um, when we got back together, that was the easiest year of touring I ever done as far as like uh, crowd interaction. Because I mean, every band I ever played in, it's always been, we always came in as underdogs and we always had to like, even with Noise Conspiracy, we were quite popular, but we were definitely one of those bands like we have to win people over. And uh, in the early days, we refused. We're touring with Snapcase and Madball and we had to win people over every night. Uh, the first tour I ever did when we didn't have to win people over was 2012. That was wow. like, we just like went out and, and did this and then people went crazy and we're like, this is insane. And then as soon as we put our new record out, you have to win people over. <laughs> it's the same old thing again, you know. All people are so fickle. They are. That's fine, though. Get out, scream! Okay, I got a few questions for you that are kind of like not really band related as such. All right. But um they're just sort of like funny ones to sort of try and ease out of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh my first question actually, a few people have said a refuse track. So my first question is if you were like either a wrestler or a boxer or any kind of fighter what would your walk-in entrance music be? Uh, on the top of my head, we got to know with the Chromax. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably. Yep. <laughs> okay. What do you believe to be the greatest TV theme tune of all time? Intro or outro? Oh, my God. I really like the flight of the Concords. Yes, the flight. Of oh, the, the flight of the Concords. Ding, 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 ding. Yes, ding, ding. <laughs> I love that. It's also very good because it's like it really sets up the show. For yeah, what it is. absolutely. I, and also, I mean, the the one that the maybe the strongest association I would it's the X Files theme song. Obviously, ah, oh, great yeah. show. So it was so. Yeah. I mean, it's so. It was so massive there when we were watching it and then, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Super eerie. Yeah. Okay. What's Not a lot of people like this question, so if you don't want to answer it, you don't have to answer it. What would you like played at your funeral? Um, um, I mean, I have to think about that one. Chromax, we got no, no, <laughs> no, 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 that'd be weird. Um, I don't know. That That's something I have to think about. The only thing that I do know uh, is, I mean, it's hopefully a long ways from now, but if I die, I want to get cremated and I want to have my ashes printed on vinyl. Ah. Because you can. That's fucking great. Yeah, so you can put out one last record and then you can choose like two tracks 
and then your ashes will be in this piece of vinyl. Do you know what? That is by far the best answer I've had to this question. Perfect. <laughs> I didn't know that either. I'm going to do hey. that too. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> wow. Okay, I'll have to look into that. Well, I've got no, yeah. not planning on dying anytime soon. No, no, fair, but, but you know, <laughs> make, in your in your testament, the will that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last question. What advice would you give your younger self? It's it's weird. <clears throat> I see my younger self and I see what I'm doing now and, and the way I approach the world. Um, but the thing is, like, the advice that I would like to give my younger self is fucking relax a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> just in general. But also that the fact that I was so high strung and so crazy it's all what made everything happen. So it's a little bit of a weird thing because because at times I, I I I look back at myself and I see I was quite demanding and I was quite uh, I mean unreasonable maybe is <laughs> a good word <laughs> and and I see that and I'm like oh, maybe maybe you made some choices that wasn't super cool because you were so driven. Uh, so sometimes I want to tell myself like maybe you could have relaxed a little bit. But at the same time, that drive and that fucking, uh, you know, being that headstrong made me be where I am today. I was thinking about that the other day, too, because it was like me and David were so fucking motivated. It was literally like we're playing the show. And then some guy said, I can't, you know, my aunt's funeral. We're like, you're fired. I mean, yeah. we were those kind of people. And looking <laughs> back at it, like maybe 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 we could have said no to that show and. <laughs> <laughs> it would still have been fine. So maybe maybe that just, you know, just relax a little bit and, and cut people some slack. Not everybody, not everybody in the band can be as fucking full on as you are. I've learned that the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think your younger self would listen? Probably not. My younger <laughs> self was kind of, kind of an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. I, I have a um, 1996. I was 24 years old. I wrote two tour, tour diary from 93 to 97. And uh, the Sex Pistols <clears throat> did their reunion, Filter Luger tour in 96. And one of my entries is, is me. I hate it so much. I'm so angry with the fact that they're playing shows. And I'm like, they're so old, they're pathetic, fucking losers, go to hell. John Lydon was 36. No. When they did that reunion. And I'm like, fuck those old fucking bastards. I mean, perspective on things, it's weird. But yeah, I thought they were just old fucks. Uh, maybe a 50-year-old Dennis version, my 24-year-old be like, fuck that old dude. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really, really appreciate it. It was fun. Absolute honor to have you on, man. Um, Refuse, uh, one of the best bands that ever walked this planet. I don't want to uh, get too fanboy on you again, but uh, it's been an honor to have you on, man. Really, really is. Thank you. And that record changed my life. Mine, sincerely. mine as well. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we we finally uh, made this happen. Me too. Yeah. From the bottom of my heart, again, yeah. thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it's fun. 
Yeah, great. Have a good night. I'll talk to you soon. You too. Take care. Yeah, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Holy bloody hell. That just happened, didn't it? (laughs) Okay, first of all, I want to say a massive thank you to Dennis for being such a lovely guest. He was such a nice guy. He was so warm and open to talk about anything. And he didn't freak out when I freaked out a little bit and fanboyed a couple of times. And they say, don't meet your heroes. Well, I didn't meet him. Uh, it It was only on Zoom, but... Well, that's not the saying, is it? So, anyway... I'd like to apologise to everyone for using the words groundbreaking and incredible a groundbreaking and incredible amount of times. Obviously, you can tell that my uh, vocabulary is neither groundbreaking or incredible, but uh, is what it is, isn't it? I want to give a shout-out to Refuse. I want to give a shout-out to Fake Names and Invasion, the International Noise Conspiracy, and I want to give a shout-out to his new band, but I would absolutely butcher the Swedish language if I tried to say it. So how do you pronounce it, Dennis? Back in Greenland. Thank you. He wasn't waiting in the wings there, ready to say it. That's just the power of editing, baby. The guys had so many incredible bands, but don't just take my word for it. Go and check them all out. Available on all streaming platforms. You can also check out Dennis's YouTube channel at Dennis's Deep Cuts, where he talks about his love for punk rock and music in general. It's a really good watch, man. I recommend it. If you enjoyed that episode, please feel free to like and subscribe. If you want to, you don't have to. I wouldn't if I were you. If you like, you can now follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Band Before The Band Before. Please do, my numbers are dreadful. And if you'd like to get in touch with us at the podcast, hit us up at tbbtbbpodcast at gmail.com. If you've got some band stories you'd love to share, I'd love to hear them. And let us know your thoughts about the podcast, whether you love it, you hate it, you think you fancy me, I, I don't blame you. It's all good. Just let us know. Thank you to every single one of you that have tuned in. Tuned in? It's not radio, is it? Anyway, thank you everyone that's listened. I really, really appreciate it. You all take care of yourself. Have a great weekend. Unless you're listening to this on a Monday, I hope you had a good weekend. Yada, yada, yada. I love you all. I've been me. You've been you. Thank you so much for listening to the Band Before the Band Before podcast. And hopefully, I'll see you at the next one. Bye.